and just beautiful. Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is Kevin Sanders. It's my great joy to serve as lead pastor here and to be here worshiping with all of you. I am just delighted with what God has in store for each of us today. And so if you are new with us today, we are so pleased that you have chosen to worship here today. We have no doubt God has something beautiful in store for all of us as we turn our hearts to him. And now we're about to turn our hearts again to him in prayer because he, he cares so deeply about everything we go through and everything on our hearts and on our minds. And if you're like me, that's, that's saying something because there's a lot on our hearts and minds, isn't there? And just one to mention from within our congregation that is heavy on our hearts and minds is the passing of Marcia Tenier's father and, and his wife uh, just about a week ago. And so we mourn their earthly loss while we rejoice in the assurance of faith we have, knowing they are in the presence of their Savior and their King whom they love, and yet at the same time their loss hurts. And so we ask for your prayers for Marcia for Roger, for their entire family as they continue to grieve that loss. For that, for all the other things that we are caring for those who have lost loved ones recently and continue to feel that absence, for the, the multitude of sicknesses going around, for the tumult of evil and destruction throughout the world, and even just the angst in our own hearts, we now turn to God in prayer. So let's pray together to a God who hears and cares. Oh God, majestic King, we give you thanks, honor, glory, and praise this day. You are indeed holy. And we just glorify your name. Father, you reign supreme. You, you speak creation into being and you lord over it all. But your lordship is not reckless. It is righteous. And your just isn't uh, personal preferences and willy-nilly it is perfectly just and your mercy is not lacking it is complete for you are perfect and so your rule is perfect and so we humbly give you thanks this day we give you thanks for being our god for our lord for our savior our king so god we confess before you the ways that we Try and take your place. We confess before you the ways we forget that you are ruling, that you are Lord over all. We confess for simply not thinking about you or neglecting you. But as we confess, we also profess that you forgive and you love and you invite us back toward you. And so, God, we, having laid down, having sought repentance, we long to believe. And so we turn back to you, believing your word, receiving your mercy and grace that sustains our every breath. So we give you thanks. And oh, God, how desperately we need you. We need you in our comings and our goings and in all of our doings. Lord, I, I mentioned a few things before, of course, Marcia's dad and stepmom and, and then the others who are grieving and for those with sickness. And since you are Lord over it all, we just ask for your peaceful and calming and gracious and healing and merciful presence to be made known. 
We tune our hearts to yours, God, seeking you wherever we are, knowing you are present and you are good and you are just and you are sovereign over all things. So in you, God, may we find our comfort. Help us be more like you, Lord. Help us follow in your footsteps. Help us believe the call and the commands you have placed on our lives so that we might be your hands and feet, reflecting your majesty to all that we encounter. For you are doing a new thing, a good thing. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Prepare our hearts now to receive your word. May we be transformed by your word. May we leave this place energized and standing firmly on the call and the commission you have given us to be your hands and feet. God, may you do your work in us now. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Hey, do you guys remember that game, uh, King of the Hill? Do you remember King of the Hill? Maybe played at recess at school time? What utter chaos is this game, King of the Hill? Like a pack of angry savages, we kids would trip, and we would tackle, and we would yank, and we would throw any other kid in our way down in our quest to climb to the very top. You know what I'm talking about. A game I would say best played in the wintertime atop a mighty mountain. You know what I'm talking about? And there's always those big ice chunks in it, so when you fall, you kind of feel it. You get scraped. It's a game where size and strength don't matter all that much. Not as much as your determination, your creativity, your perseverance, and of course, a willingness to play dirty. I would go for the ankles myself. Usually the ankles of the people who think they're climbing to the summit, and I'd say, not so fast, and down they go. Or I would hop on someone's back and act like a backpack as they do the hard work to climb the summit, only to then go for the ankles. You got to go for the ankles when you're my stature. And then in that glorious moment, that glorious moment, when you have cast down all your enemies, and you are on top of that mountain, and you stand alone, triumphant from that high peak, and you look down on all who are truly beneath you, you truly are, in that moment, the king of the hill. But this game comes with such a letdown. Because though you've been crowned the rightful king of the hill, you very quickly discover you have absolutely zero authority or right to rule over anyone or anything. Did you ever try? I did. I, some of us would try. We would leave recess after our victory, and as a kid, you, you would ask someone, hey, hey, can I cut you in line? Huh? Or can I have your snack? Give me your snack. Or do my homework for me. Why? They would ask, to what you'd say, I'm the king. To what they'd say, what? Shockingly, None of these things ever happened because we had no authority. We had no right. We had no rule. We were indeed no true king. But today we have the joy to talk about a king, a good king, a perfect king, a king who holds all authority, who has every right, who is completely righteous. He is the high king, the one true king, and that is God Almighty. Today, we explore how God is 
sovereign. Say sovereign. God is sovereign. That means God has complete and total authority over all things. He is the rightful ruler of absolutely everything. He's the only one capable and qualified to be Lord over all. Now, throughout this whole series of God is, we're exploring these divine, beautiful, incommunicable attributes of God. And each attribute we've talked about and that we've talked points to, it proves, and it displays God's total and complete sovereignty. The concept of God's sovereignty, it's it's a hard one for us to grasp, as all these have been, but, but it's, it's, it's been by design that we've looked at all these other nine attributes first, because as we very slowly start to understand God's character and what makes him up, we start to see how God is indeed sovereign. And so we can fully and completely trust, learning about God, that he is fully and completely in control. And as we've looked at the infinitude of God surrounding each of his majestic uh, divine attributes, it becomes clear as day that the most appropriate place for God to be is a throne. The one who sits on the throne is worthy of all praise. Look at what it says in Revelation 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. See, God is exactly who Scripture declares he is. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, whose supreme authority is over all. That's the main premise, indeed, of Scripture. Don't worry about that high-pitched frequency. They're going to figure that out in the sound if you hear that. If you can't hear that, that means you might be a little older. That's the first to go is the higher frequencies. I know that because in my old office, I had these, these lights, and they would put on this high frequency, and I couldn't have those lights ever on because it drove me nuts. And then Pastor Curry moved in that office. I'm like, do those lights bother you? He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. That's <laughs> why so we have meetings in my office now instead of your office, right, Curry? Yeah. So they'll, they'll figure out whatever that frequency is. I don't know what that is. But if you can't hear it, good for you. Good for you. Oh, what are we talking about? God is sovereign. Okay. And it is seen throughout all of Scripture. I mean, look at it. We see it in the very beginning. When God shows his lordship over all creation, when he proved in his omnipotence that he is the creator. What's the first verse of all of scripture? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's unfathomable. He is sovereign. And we see his authority over all in the very last chapter of the Bible when Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. See, Jesus, God incarnate, he is, he's both God's son, or excuse me, David, he is God's son, but he's also David's son. He comes from the line of kings, right? But he is also Lord and the source of David's life. He's the source of royalty. And when it says bright morning star, that's the prophetic sign that Balaam saw revealing the one that would conquer all nations 
the King of kings. That is Jesus Christ. So what do we see from the very first page to the very last of all Scripture? God is sovereign. God's sovereignty reveals his authority. And his sovereignty gives him the right to rule over all. As all the other attributes testify, he alone has infinite power. He alone has infinite knowledge. None else can be called the creator. He alone is self-sufficient. None other exists eternally and is infinite. It is clear that God and God alone has the authority and the rule and the right, and he reigns perfectly forever. He is our sovereign king. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. None like God. Why don't you say that? Say, none like God. There is none like God. He has the authority. And if you still don't believe me, believe him. Because what did Jesus say in his great commission after showing his authority over life and death? He, before his ascension, said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, has the authority to reign. Would you want anyone else in his place? No. But we say that knowing we are rightly conditioned to be suspicious of anyone in power. We're conditioned that way because we have centuries and millennia proving that humans will abuse power and will misuse their authority. Just go to the scriptures. Mankind wanted a king, and God says, you have a king. And they said, we get that, but we want an earthly king. He says, you don't need it. It's not good for you. They said, give us the king. We said, we'll give you these kings. And you see what happens. And still, to this day, we have seen how humans abuse power and misuse their authority. We dare not submit to anyone blindly or unquestioningly. Woe to the one that does. And this is especially important right now with the heightened polarization we're seeing and the tribalism that is happening in this country. We dare not blindly follow and support any human without questioning I hear what Jen Wilkins says about this. But in the case of our eternally reigning God and an infinitely benevolent sovereign, our unquestioning submission, it's not only desirable, it's the only rational course to follow. God never requires submission to a harmful command. None of his commands are harmful. In commanding what brings him glory, he commands what ultimately brings us good. He can only use his authority for good. For goodness is found, its source in God. We can know, we can believe this, if, for we are seeking the very heart of God, which reveals to us his perfect love, his perfect justice, his complete perfection. God is our high king. His proper place is a throne. And so our proper place, our proper response, it's to bow down before him. God is on his throne. His rule and reign is perfect. So we must talk about surrender and also control. So first, surrender, submission. He is Lord. God is Lord. We are called to submit to his lordship. 
to his rule, to his reign. To, we are called to give him our fullest allegiance and to remember that he is our highest authority. So we file this one under the category of things we know, but things we struggle to do, right? Yeah. We know this. It's really hard to believe it and to live like it. Let's be honest. Which of us wants to surrender? In the history books, do we celebrate the one who waves the white flag? You wouldn't because the, the history is written by the victors, right? Not the white flag wearer or wavers. It's like a, what's that thing in band? Color guard. When we are brutally honest, we only treat God as Lord in our lives when it is easy and when it is convenient. Far too often we treat him more as a footnote in the book of our lives instead of the author of our lives. And we also will then naturally, if we're not giving him our highest allegiance, we will give our allegiance to lesser humans. And if it's a human, they are broken. There's a level of corruption, a level of sin, a level of everything broken in this world lives with them. So that means we are giving our allegiance to these lesser humans. They're corrupt. They're broken. Either it's a politician or it's a party or it's an authority figure, but it's a human. And based on the attention, the word count, our airtime, our conversation fodder of our day-to-day lives, we are giving to our lesser authorities way more of our attention than we are to our highest authority, that is God. And then even more so, even more so than these lesser authorities, in view of this whole series, it's become abundantly clear to me, and I'm sure it has to you, that I like to try and sit on the throne. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even worthy to look upon it in all reality. We don't just want to be king of the hill. We want to be king and in control of it all. Do I stand alone in this? Or do you resonate with this? And if you say, that's not me, I dare say, gently and kindly and graciously seek the Spirit's leading and look at your life. Because all of us, none, can escape the reality. We try and take control and sit on that throne. But Scripture reveals to us that all must submit to the King of Kings. Indeed, Scripture reveals that all will one day submit to him, for he is the high king. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. Not one can escape that reality. Those who believe bow out of reverence, out of submission, out of surrender. It's, it's a posture of faith that says, you, God, are Lord, I'm not, and it acknowledges that we are accountable to Christ the King. And in submitting, we are proclaiming that God is in control, and we are not. He is our highest authority. There is none other. And this is the challenging question in this section for us. Are you living your life as a child of the King, or as if you are King? Now that's a gut check right there, a heart check 
right there. And I ask you to gently seek the Spirit's prompting and be honest and gracious with yourself in your answers. Because as we sit there, we also have to talk about control. I really don't understand why no one cheers when I talk about control. I do. I do. It's so hard for us to talk about human temptation to act as if we are on the throne. It reveals our deep desire for control. It reveals it to, to surrender after all is to give up control. To say, here, you are, here I am. And central to God's sovereignty, it's the declaration that God, in his perfect rule and reign, is in control. But what is he in control over? Scripture would reveal God is in control over all things. Think about it. If, if he wasn't in control, then that means he's out of control. And that would invalidate his right and his ability to rule. Think about it. Have you ever been out of control in any, any way? It immediately invalidates you. You're out of control uh, when, when, when you're out in public. They're going to put you behind bars. You're out of control when you're at work. They're going to strip you of position. If you get out of control consistently with your kids, they're not going to look to you to learn how to be and how to behave and how to act. What an immense comfort to hear and know and believe that God never once has been out of control, and that he is in control over all things. The Bible makes this abundantly clear. It consistently repeats and claims that God is in control of all things. Pastor theologian R.C. Sproul says this, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. And then Jen Wilkham expands on that. There are no limits to what God controls. Thus, whatever he wills, he does. He's completely free to act according to what he decrees. He requires permission from no one because he needs nothing from anyone. He knows all things. He's everywhere present. He holds all power. No one exists who could possibly trump or challenge his plans. His limitlessness in every way, in every area, points to his sovereignty over all things. God is in control. We are not. He has complete control over everything. How deeply and profoundly comforting and freeing that is for us. But maybe you're asking yourself, if that's true, which it sure seems to be, which I believe it is, then do I even have free will. You ask yourself that? God has control over all things, and do I even have free will? How does that work? Well, we already mentioned how, how the Bible consistently affirms that God has total, he's totally sovereign, right? Total sovereignty. But at the same time, the Bible also consistently affirms humanity's free will. And here we come with that reality that anytime our limited human understanding interacts with these divine truths, there's going to be some level of built-in tension and mystery, a level of paradox. But saying that, we can still say that because God controls all things, he can ultimately work all things for our good, even the things that others meant for evil. Take Joseph's brothers, for example. 
They plotted against him. They threw him in a well. They sold him as a slave. Years later, when Joseph, alive and well, second in command over all of Egypt, comes face to face with his brothers who wronged him, he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God, giving man free will, allowed his brothers to cause great harm to Joseph. But also, being a good, perfect, and sovereign ruler, took the evil works of man and redeemed it into something profoundly good. When we talk of the sovereignty of God, we can get so bogged down in the difficult questions of life, the difficult questions like the the realities of evil, the problem of pain, and all of that. And we can't parse that all out here this morning together this time, but know this. In the face of the world's great evils and life's daily struggles, the sovereignty of our Lord provides us deep comfort and peace in the midst of all the hurt and pain. As Charles Spurgeon said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. We repeat the promise again that God's in control over all of it, And he is working out all things for our good and to his glory. And we as humans don't just sit back and watch, for though God is sovereign, we humans do still have responsibility. There are still consequences to our actions. Parents, what you tell your kids is true. And our souls long to live in a way that reflects the king and that advances his kingdom. In fact, after Jesus complained his, com- proclaimed his complete authority, he then charged his believers to make disciples, to live and to teach what Jesus taught them. You may not be king. You may not be in control of everything, but you're a child of the king. You are given a responsibility of drawing others toward him. See, God's in control over all things, but that does not mean that there are not some things over which we have control as well. What can we control? I put, what can we, well, it might not be up there. I don't know. Seek to control. Hey, there it is. See that? Seek to control because it's hard. The first is our thoughts. Scripture tells us to take our thoughts captive by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can seek to control our thoughts. What else can we seek to control? Our attitude. Scripture calls us to see things through a heavenly perspective, to set our sights on things of heaven, to view all of Scripture through His lens and His kingdom perspective. What else can we seek to control? Our words. As Scripture says, what comes out of the mouth, it's an overflow of the heart. So we long to speak words of life and words of meaning, and words of blessing. And what else can we seek to control but our actions? The question there is how we live in alignment with what we believe. And are we believing the right things? In other ways, do we live as ambassadors of the King? Our lives are such a gift. And as believers, we recognize our sovereign God chose us. He chose us to be a part of his perfect plan and to be his hands and be his feet in this world. 
we not only have a responsibility for our thoughts and our attitudes and our, our words and our, our actions, but we have a responsibility in our calling as followers of Christ. We are herald of the King of Kings. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he tells us how to live. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He has all authority, and he gives us authority to see his kingdom cause come to fruition through the power of his Holy Spirit. We indeed do have responsibility. For there's nowhere in God's sovereignty more clearly demonstrated than in his salvation of the lost. God is free to bestow his saving mercy on whomever he pleases. As he says to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God is not obligated to extend his grace to any undeserving sinner. If he were to choose to save none, he would remain perfectly just. He might determine to save a few, and he would remain absolutely holy. Or he could choose to save all. But God is sovereign, and that means he is entirely free to bestow his grace however he will, whether on none you or all. And he chose to save us. That's how good he is. That's how loving he is. That is the kind of king he is. So if you are here and you believe, that means God first chose you to receive this grace. And if you don't yet believe, but you want to believe, or you feel a longing within you, a pulling in your heart toward Jesus, then that might be God telling you that his grace is here for you today. So praise God in his infinite power and grace that he alone is sovereign and that he alone reigns. So we say, the very words that David says that were already read for us today, which God knew in his sovereign and perfect reign and rule, we declare along with him that yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all, Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. When you look around, when you despair at the broken state of the world, when you feel the brokenness of everything in your own life, when you feel lost and completely out of control, Look at the one who reigns supreme. He is in control. He has the authority. He rules. He reigns. Oh, that we might stand amazed and full of faith with unshakable boldness at the authority of Jesus Christ over the world and at the unstoppable mission of our God. This is our King. 
This is our God. He reigns now and forevermore. So all hail King Jesus. All hail the Savior of the world. All hail the one who is in control. All hail our perfect and righteous King. All glory and honor and praise to the one who reigns. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and sovereign God, you deserve all glory and all praise. And we are humbled in the presence of your majesty. We just take a moment to bask in your splendor, in your authority, in your reign, in your rule. Lord, Scripture declares that there is a nonstop chorus of praise to your name that goes and rings on forever and ever. We long to join the chorus of that praise by living a life of praise to you who is worthy. We lay down our control. We acknowledge you as the rightful ruler of this world, of this universe of our lives. Shape us, mold us, use us according to your perfect will and plan. And when we stumble, we know you're present to pick us up. We know your spirit is with us to guide us. We know as you promise that you are with us to the very end of the age. And you alone have all authority. So God, we, as we prepare to pray the words that you taught us, we prepare to declare who you are, what it means to believe, what it means to follow you. We declare this and we speak it against the enemy and all his machinations, for he has been cast down and has no power in your perfect presence. So Lord, we now declare this together as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.